The scripture reading for this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went towards the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand that the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? For whom are you looking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Dear Lord, as is often the case, we hear very familiar scriptures read. And so we need your particular help so that we don't just simply let the words drift in one ear and out the other, but they might linger within our hearts and give us some instruction about how we might live out our lives today. So speak to us, Lord. Help us to hear. Most importantly, help us to respond. Your servants are listening. Amen. Amen. 
Well, today concludes our series called Fearless, uh, The Courage to Question. We have been, between Phil and myself, we've been kind of going through a series of questions that the lectionary readings have provided for us uh, during this season of Lent and looking for answers to these questions. And you may recall some of the questions. What am I hungry for? Am I afraid to die? Why do I feel empty? Am I blind or is God hiding? Does God weep for me? Do bad things happen to good people? Now, you can go online. You can go back and hear some of the sermons that Phil or I have preached over this series and see what you think about some of the answers that we glean from the Scriptures. Well, today's question is, is God alive? Is God alive? Well, to answer that question, maybe it would be helpful to ask another question, and that is, are there any signs that God is alive? You know, we live in a culture where a lot of people don't believe that God is alive. In fact, a lot of people don't even believe that God ever was alive. So it's a, it's a, it's a really important question for us as Christians to, to ask and to answer. Now, when I talk about are there signs around that would show us that God is alive. Let's think about signs just in general. Signs um, are all around us, everywhere we go. There, there, there are signs. There are signs that give direction, like street signs, you know, one way, uh, detour, stop, yield. Uh, there are those kinds of signs. There are also signs that identify places like a particular s- store or a place of business, maybe a, ch- a church sign will give the name of the name of the church. All of these kind of identify uh, what lies beyond. Uh, there are also signs like historical markers that give information that beyond just simply a title. But but uh, maybe you have to take a little more time to kind of delve into what's written on that sign. But so you can see, there are all kinds of signs that we make as human beings. But there are other signs, too, that that we don't make. Signs like weather, like when there are clouds that kind of start rolling in over the mountains. Uh, That could be a sign that there's a storm coming, you know, if if the wind starts picking up. It's a sign that something else is coming over those those hills. Uh, You may recall that the phrase for sailors, red sky at night, sailors delight, red sky in the morning, sailors take warning. Now, I'm not a sailor, so I don't know exactly how that works with, with the red sky, but apparently over the centuries, uh, some of our mariners saw in the sky portents of, of weather and what was coming their way. On February 2nd, what do we celebrate? Do you know what we celebrate? Groundhog's Day, right? And isn't that a, that becomes a sign for some people, you know, uh, when the groundhog comes out, if it's shady or cloudy, you know, and they don't, and the groundhog doesn't see its shadow. It, the groundhog will stay out for a while, and and so it's a sign that spring is on its way. Or if it's a sunny day on February second, and the groundhog sees its shadow, it runs back in its burrow, and we're going to have six more weeks of winter. Now I don't know if that's true or not, but that's uh, for some people that's a sign. Squirrels gathering acorns can be a sign that we're going to have a hard hard winter. Well, the truth of the matter is, as I'm suggesting here with the Groundhog Day, signs don't prove anything. 
Just because there's a sign there doesn't mean it's true. It's, you know, you have to trust a sign. You have to believe that it's telling the truth. You know, if it says there's a cliff there, you know, it might be good to check it out, you know. But until you've checked it out, there's no proof. It doesn't prove anything. You have to have faith. Only in retrospect do you believe the sign is trustworthy. Now, you can test a sign. You can, that one-way sign, you can go down the street the wrong way if you want until you meet someone, one of your neighbors, come in the other direction. Uh, That'll pretty much prove to you that the sign was trustworthy, okay? You can ignore it and see what happens. Signs can be misunderstood, too, or ignored, like this this, uh, cartoon, Farsight uh, cartoon of um, a gifted student pushing on the door of the school with a sign that says pull. (laughs) How many times have you done that? Well, when Jesus rose from the grave, there were signs all around. And some people saw the signs and interpreted them correctly. Other people saw the signs and misinterpreted them. And for a whole host of people, they just simply ignored the signs. They didn't see the signs in the first place. Let's look at some of those signs. One of the signs has to do with what Jesus said. Jesus told his disciples over and over and over again that he was, his ministry was going to lead ultimately to his suffering and death and that he would rise again on the third day. He told them that. He didn't, just, he didn't just spring this on them, but they didn't hear it. They didn't see what he was saying as a sign to be trusted. And when, when his enemies, his detractors, started saying, give us a sign, we want to see a sign that you're really the Son of God. You say you're the Messiah? Well, give us a sign. He said, no, nah, I'm not going to give you a sign, except for one. I'll give you one sign. It's the sign of Jonah. What he was saying is, I'm doing a lot of wonderful, good things, right? I'm healing people. I'm teaching people. Those are nice, but they're not signs. I'm going to give you one sign, and that sign is the sign of Jonah. Remember what happened to Jonah? He was caught up in the belly of that great fish, and he was belched out after he'd been there for a while, belched out on the shores of Nineveh. People who needed to be saved. He was being sent to people who needed to be saved. And what Jesus was saying is, I'm going to be belched out of that tomb. I'm going to die for the sins of the world, and I'm going to rise again on the third day. That's the sign that I want you to believe and trust. Well, besides the signs that Jesus gave us by what he said, let's look at some of the signs that the early followers of Jesus had the opportunity to to either accept, find trustworthy or not. For instance, on this first Easter morning, remember Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb ostensibly to, uh, to anoint the body, prepare it for burial because they didn't have time to do that before Passover. And so um, she goes to the tomb, or I should say before the Sabbath, 
Uh, she goes to the tomb and what she sees is the stone door rolled away. And so she interprets that. She sees it as a sign. And what she sees it as, as is a sign that the body had been stolen because she's figured this out. You know, she's kind of assumed if that stone door has been rolled away, it took more than one person to do. It wasn't one person could not go up there and roll that stone away. There were supposed to be soldiers kind of guarding the tomb. So if that stone door is rolled away, then Jesus' body must be gone. And that means somebody stole it. And that the scriptures tell us she didn't go any farther. She just looked at that one sign and then she runs back to the disciples and she tells them that the body of Jesus had been stolen. See, there was the sign, but she interpreted it her way. So Peter and John, they run to the tomb and they see that sign, but they see another sign because they go in. Peter just, you know, Peter just runs right in and goes, <laughs> He runs right into the tomb and he sees, as he looks around, an empty tomb. So how does he interpret that sign? He interprets it the same way that Mary did. Body's been stolen. Even John looks in and sees that the tomb is empty. So you see, they had the opportunity to see two signs. They saw the stone door rolled away and they saw the empty tomb. They saw two signs. And both of them were interpreted by these early disciples as signs that the body of Jesus had been stolen. That's how they interpreted it. They looked around in the tomb as they were looking and they saw the linen cloths lying there. And the way it's described in the scriptures, it, the way the cloth is lying there, it, it's as if the body has vaporized. It's not like the, the cloth that he was buried in is somehow uh, like pulled off but, but rather it's just like lying there and the body just disappeared. They saw that. And they also saw the, the cloth that was put over his face lying off to the side, kind of rolled up, folded, if you will, kind of neatly put aside. Okay, if you're a thief, if you're a robber and you've come to take a body away, you're going to roll up that little cloth and put it off to the side? Probably not. But that's how they interpreted it. They interpreted these signs within the tomb that the body had been stolen. Because John tells us they believed. <laughs> what they believe? A lot of people say, well, they believe that Jesus had risen. Well, if that's true, why did they go home? That's what the scriptures tell us. It says they believed and then they went home. Well, if they really believed that Jesus had risen from the grave, don't you think they'd go to the go to the you know, center of town and scream it aloud, Jesus is risen. No, 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 no. They believed what Mary had told them. The whole reason they came to the tomb is because Mary told them that the body had been stolen. So they came to the tomb, they looked around, they saw all these signs, and every sign pointed to the fact, as far as they were concerned, the fact that Jesus' body had been stolen. And so they went home, probably saddened by what they had seen. And what's really interesting, it's, it's at this point that Mary, for the first time, looks inside the tomb. Do you realize that? I mean, she saw the, the stone door roll away. She, she interpreted that sign. She ran off and told the disciples. And it was not until Peter and John went into the tomb and left and went home that she decided to look inside the tomb. And when she looks inside, she's crying, she's weeping because someone's stolen the body of Jesus. And what does she see? She sees two angels. And they ask her, woman, why are you weeping? 
And, and she says, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. That's strange, isn't it? If I looked into the tomb and I saw two angels sitting there, I don't know that I would have just been talking about the stolen body. I'd be going, whoa, 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 what, what, what do you have to say? What, what's going on here? She is so overcome by her grief, she cannot see beyond the theft. And so when she looks at the empty tomb, regardless of the fact that there are angels there, she still sees it as a sign that the body of Jesus had been stolen. So she backs out of the tomb and she turns around and she sees Jesus. And yet she doesn't. She sees the gardener. She sees someone that maybe knows something about the stealing. Jesus asks her the very same question the angels asked, woman, why are you weeping? And she says pretty much the same thing she said to the uh, to the angels, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Please, please. The body of Jesus has been stolen. I've seen all these signs. Help me. Tell me where you've taken the body. And that's, of course, when Jesus calls her by name. And that's when she really comes to realize that the man standing before her is her risen Lord. Well, so here's my question. What, what kind of sign will it take for you and me to believe that Christ is risen? What kind of sign will it take for us to believe that God is alive and well and living in our lives? Is God alive? There are all kinds of signs around us that say, yes, absolutely, God is alive. But how do we interpret them? Do we misinterpret them? Do we ignore them? Are we much like Mary and Peter and John? You know, Jesus was telling them over and over again that he was going to rise again. Well, people have been telling us over and over again over these 2,000 years that Christ has risen. We've heard the stories, haven't we? We've got four gospels that tell us over and over again about people who actually met the risen Lord. But we just don't hear that, do we, sometimes? The Apostle Paul, even, someone that was a hater of Christians, even he said he met the Lord on his road to Damascus. So we have plenty of people telling us, but how do we interpret those signs? And what about the sign of the, the tomb door being rolled away? We have the same kind of signs in our own lives. You see, God is in the business of rolling stone doors away, opening windows where the doors are shut. You know, I've told you many times about the death of my parents. When I was 10, I lost my mother. When I was 14, I lost my dad. And I've lived with several foster families. Those were kind of like doors that were shut. And you know... God rolled the stone away and brought people into my life that I could never have imagined. Wonderful people who showed me love and compassion and caring. And my life was changed because of the people that came into my life precisely because of the tragedy in my life. Many of you know Carolyn McGee. Do you know that when she was an infant, perhaps only days old, she was put in a mailbox 
she was put in a mailbox. And the parents that she grew up with, they found her in their mailbox and raised her as their own. What a, what a wonderful gift she has been to the world, but what a wonderful gift they were to her. You know, the door was shut and the window was sprung open. The, the tomb door was rolled away for Carolyn, just as it was for me. Every seed that dies and grows into a, into a tree is a sign that God is alive. Every tragedy that, that blossoms into a great blessing is a sign that God is alive. Every butterfly that springs forth from a cocoon is, is a sign that God is alive. That's the way God works. Well, remember, the disciples of Peter and John, they looked in the tomb. It wasn't just simply looking at the outside. They, they, they looked inside the tomb and finally went in, and what they saw was an empty tomb. Well, you and I have experiences of empty tombs ourselves, do we not? We, we look into our pain and into our, the difficulties of our life, and we see nothing. We see we don't see a risen Lord. We see pain and tragedy and difficulty. And we say, well, God has nothing to do with me because, look, my life is empty. Don't we do that? If you look for graves, you will find death. But if you look for new life, then you will find that your tomb really is empty. Because we have too often filled our tombs with things that have no meaning. You know, last night I uh, kind of went over my notes for this morning. I was starting to get nervous. My, my wife will tell you, when the sun goes down on Saturday, don't talk to me because I start getting really anxious. And, and that was the case last night. So I started going over my notes. And when I got to this point in the sermon, I... Um, what came to my mind was last week I talked about the raising of Lazarus. And remember I, I said that the, uh, when Jesus wept, he didn't weep because he was sad for Lazarus who had died. No, he wept for the people who were standing around, you know, so sad when life was there. Jesus had come to raise Lazarus and they didn't see it. They didn't see life that was in their midst. And, and so he wept. Well, <clears throat> Last Sunday, and this time as I read that, I think that's, that's exactly what, what we're talking about here, looking in and seeing an empty tomb and not, and not seeing the, the possibility of life, but just seeing the tragedy. That's all we see, and we, and we just find ourselves just, just caught up with the grief of the emptiness of the tombs of our lives. And, and I thought, wait, you know, and I mentioned this last week. I said there was a wonderful movie, the 1965 movie, The Greatest Story Ever Told. That I really encourage you to, to watch, not because it's so accurate all throughout. But I tell you, the, the director of this film got this particular scene, absolute nailed it right on the top of the, of the nail. You know, it, 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 um, he really got it because there's a scene where Jesus comes to Bethany and he weeps because Mary and Martha are angry with him because he didn't get there in time to save Lazarus. And there he was. He was coming to raise Lazarus. And so he weeps because they don't understand that. 
And I really would love to show that part of the movie, but I, we don't have time to do that. But last night, I, I, wanted, I wanted to kind of tell you what happened after that. And, uh, and I couldn't remember this, the words that were spoken because, you see, after he raised Lazarus, these, these, these guys, they went running uh, those two miles between Bethany and uh, Jerusalem to just proclaim the good news of what they had just experienced. And, and when they got there, they had some words to speak and I couldn't quite get the words. And so I said, I know I've got this movie. I've got to find the movie and I'm going to get those words. And so I started looking around and uh, I, found the, I found the movie, the greatest story ever told. But it was a VHS tape. <laughs> and uh, I have a DVD player now. I didn't have any way to play that thing. I was like, Lord, why do you tempt me like this? You put it right here and I can't even watch it, you know? So I, I was upset with myself and so I just put it back on the shelf and I, and I said, I'm going to bed. And I, and I was still anxious and so I said, well, I'm going to turn on the TV. And so I turned on the TV and like any, any, you know, average male, I got out the remote and started, you know, just going through because I wasn't going to watch a whole program. It was late. We had sunrise service this morning. So I start going through and you won't believe this. When I got to, I think it was the TMC. Is that Turner TB? What is it? T? What is it? Whatever. Classic movies. T. Whatever it was. Anyway, you won't believe it, but it, the greatest story ever told. I'm not kidding you. So I, I clicked on that thing and boy, was I upset because the scene that was on the movie at this point in the movie was he had just been baptized and now he was out to be tempted by Satan. I mean, that's fine to watch, but that's not where the raising of Lazarus is. Raising of Lazarus is near the end of the movie. This is the beginning of the movie. And I said, Lord, why do you do this to me? I was not going to stay through this whole movie just to get a few words down. So I cut off the TV and I said, I'm going to, going to sleep. Well, this is where it really gets weird. I'm not kidding you. I was wakened an hour or so later by a text message that was scam. It really was. It, I can show it to you. It was not anybody I knew. It was saying, click on this and we've got something for you. I don't know where they got my number, but that's what woke me up. And I said, I wonder where the movie is now. So I got at the remote and I turned on the TV and Jesus had just arrived at Bethany to raise Lazarus. And Mary and Martha come up to him and they're angry with him and going, why, why did you come to bury the dead? Why didn't you come when you could have done something? You know, they were upset with him and he looked at them and he said, I am the resurrection and life. Do you believe this? And they kept saying, it's, you didn't get here in time. You could have saved him if you had come earlier, but you can't do anything now. And that's when he wept. Well, of course, the scene goes on, and Lazarus is raised. And then these characters, they start running from the tomb across those two miles, the, the rocky soil moving toward the wall and the gate that leads to Jerusalem. Those two miles, they're running, they're weaving in and out of, you won't believe it, but a cemetery. And as they weave their way toward the city, there are women that are hovered over these graves and they're moaning and they're crying and they're weeping for the death of their loved ones. And when they get, these men get to 
the wall. And by the way, the whole time they're running, guess what's playing in the background? The hallelujah chorus. And they get to the wall, and one of the men says, The Messiah has come. And one says, A man was dead, and now he lives. And the next man said, I was crippled, and now I walk. And another man said, I was blind, and now I see. And up on the, on the top of the wall, a soldier looks down and cries out, Who has done this? And the answer comes, the man called Jesus. You see, you see the signs were being given all along. The blind man being healed, the crippled man having his legs restored, the Lazarus gaining his life. You see, we are like the women along the route of the messengers, weeping over the things we have lost. And the whole time, God is bringing to us good news. And like the disciples, we have burial cloths that are a sign for us, but we don't see them that way. Our burial cloths are all those material things and the things that we, that we kind of cover our lives with. And they hold to nothing. They are empty. And there are angels that God sends our way, just like the angels were sent to Mary. But we don't seem to recognize them at all. Sometimes they're our neighbors, they're our friends, sometimes our own family members. They have come bringing the good news of Christ, but we don't see them as angels because we don't believe the sign that God is giving us. They're telling us where to look for God, for true life, but we don't believe them. And even Jesus appears, but we don't see him either. Because he appears to us as a gardener or a plumber or a preacher or a teacher or a janitor or a bus driver. He comes to us every day speaking to us the good news of life. You know who I'm talking about. These are people who walk into the room and you feel the joy within their heart. You can just feel it. You can eat it. These are these are the presence of Christ coming into our midst, but we do not see him. Are these signs proof that God is alive? No way. A sign will never prove what requires faith. They are signs to be trusted and believed or simply misinterpreted or ignored. It's as simple as that. God sent his son Jesus into the world to show us how much we are loved. And Jesus showed us a better way. He lived it. It's called the way of love. You know, the early Christians, they weren't called Christians. They were called followers of the way. There's no better sign that God is alive than the sign of love. Acts of kindness, 
acts of mercy, justice. These are all part of the way of love. Do you want to know for yourself if God is alive? Then follow the sign, follow the cross. It's God's sign of self-giving love. Go ahead, go ahead, live it, test it. You know, prove, prove to yourself that the sign is trustworthy by living your life in that way, in the way of Christ. See if it's true. Loving is what gives us a true heartbeat, you see. A sign doesn't prove anything, but living it will change your life. Let us pray. Lord, help us to see your sign, your many signs of your love for us and for the world. Help us to see these signs as the assurance that you are alive and well and living in our hearts. Amen.